Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, and I am joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, how are you? I am fantastic. The last JMU Sports News Podcast of the, what, 2018-2019 sports season? Yeah, this will be the the wrap-up, and then we'll take a little break from formal podcasts if we have anything else that sort of comes up over the summer we'll talk about it but jmu sports are not known for making a lot of june and july noise <laughs> i so think they're yeah they, will... i don't think they've ever made june or july noise no so we'll enjoy our summer vacation and we'll have a bunch of like written content and the occasional newsletter and all that but i feel like it doesn't make a ton of sense for us to have frequent podcasts yeah we would be just be getting on and saying Hi, bye, and then calling it a day. But where could everyone find that that content you speak of? Yes, <laughs> yes. You can follow us on Twitter at JMU Sports News, and you can also find us online at jmusportsnews.com, where we will have lots of content throughout the year, and you can subscribe to the newsletter. We have a pinned tweet with a link to do that, and you can also find that on our website. If you're interested in those different things, we're very accessible people. You yeah, we'll find us very easily. Except for Facebook, but who knows? That might change before next season. Oh, yes, yes. Little sneak preview. We might be making a little Facebook going into the Mark Zuckerberg cult, I guess. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe the website will look different next time you tune on. Dropping all the little yes, tidbits yes. of things we may or may not do. We'll see, you know? Yes, we'll not just be vacationing for two and a half months, we will be doing some work as well to prepare for what should be a pretty exciting 2019-2020 JMU sports year. I think across the board, most of the teams are pretty loaded. Yeah. From what I've seen. Not, to, not to show you the cards on what we have coming up later on in the podcast with some football talk, but you just put out a 2020 mm-hmm. uh, Women's College World Series expectation for the softball team. I did. For 2020. You got a little bit of pushback for that one, though. I will say that apparently the softball parents were not happy with your with your piece. Made a stat checking <laughs> error. Said Hannah File led the team in errors when Sarah Jubis had five more errors. Making a lot of errors there in the infield, which I guess makes sense. But I did fix that. So my apologies to everyone that was was outraged at my mistake. It will happen again. I promise you I'll make another error at some point, and my apologies in advance. <laughs> so using that as a smooth segue into recapping the – how I mean, it's been, what, two weeks now? A week and a half since Jamie yeah. – a week and a half since Jamie softball lost to UCLA in that UCLA Super Regional in two games. It looked like they had some hope after Kate Gordon blast that home run, but – that was kind of all the offense could muster. What is your kind of takeaway from that series and maybe the season as a whole? Yeah, so UCLA is good. very, very good. <laughs> and by the time this airs tomorrow, they'll likely be the national champs. They're up 3-1 or something like that on Oklahoma right now in the second game, and they beat the 
beat the crap out of them on Monday. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a pretty good yeah. chance they'll be national champs. So, I mean, I can't fault Jamie too much for losing those games. I think some errors, and I kind of talked about it, that in the piece you mentioned, errors and, and fielding mistakes sort of cost JMU. I think they had like 18 errors in their 10 losses this season, and then they only had like 35 in their 51 wins. So a lot of the times JMU is just beating itself. And I do think UCLA was the better team. I think UCLA is the better team. I think they're the best team in the country. So I don't think that even you know without the occasional error, I don't think JMU gets – through that series, but they're reasonably competitive. They did some good things. Um, it's just hard when you run into a team like that. And overall, I think it was a really productive season. I do think the Dukes at some point in the next three to five years, I think they're going to find their way into a women's college world series. Yeah. Without a, without a doubt. I think, yeah, you might've just touched on this ran into kind of a buzzsaw of Rachel Garcia with yeah. UCLA. I mean, it was one Oh, and then all of a sudden, her what it was like a three-run shot after some couple errors in the field I mean Jamie played a near perfect game against Michigan in terms of fielding and then UCLA kind of came out to be their I wouldn't say typical sales but something they had shown flashes of throughout the season that errors could kind of be costly for him and and it came back to bite him in UCLA but I mean it was a great season but just such a tough draw when it goes when you have to travel to Michigan, travel to LA. They ne- didn't even come back to Harrisonburg, so who knows if Kate Gordon even got her toothbrush? <laughs> right, exactly. As we know from that podcast with Matt Wyrick, where we talked about the importance of losing a toothbrush and what that could mean in terms of motivation. Uh, but overall, really impressive season from softball. I think they'll be good next year. They lose only Megan Good, which. You can't really say only Megan Good, considering how incredible she is. But the Dukes are going to be really good next year. Um, expected to see them do well. And, yeah, that's basically my softball take. It's a good softball take. Now to segue that Thanks, into man. baseball. Yeah, baseball season ended, and it wasn't exciting. But what is exciting is Nick Robertson was drafted – Pick 221 in the seventh round by the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is a pretty good accomplishment. I mean, I didn't think he'd be going that high. I, I know baseball has like 3,000 rounds. So I, <laughs> right. I was kind of expecting – I was expecting him to get drafted, but not in round seven. That's kind of an earlier earlier pick. I mean, but he is such a dominant closer. He finished the season with a 5-1 and one record. I mean – a 1.01 ERA with 54 strikeouts. He was, he's a shutdown closer. I wonder what his role is kind of going to be in LA though, throughout their farm system. Are they going to try and kind of make him into more of a relief type? Or do you think they'll kind of make him more into a closer type? I don't know how good the law, the Dodgers farm organization is in terms of their minor leagues and everything like that. But if he could one day make it up into the bigs and within a couple of years, he could be learning from the likes of Clayton Kershaw, which isn't too bad. Right. No, I mean, it's a good organization to be in. He's someone that has, you know, really good velocity. He's a big dude. Yeah. Powerful guy. I think he makes sense to me, at least as like a setup guy or a closer. Yeah. Um, it depends on how he develops. You know, it's so hard to tell with these like prospects. Cause there's so many, like you said, there's so many, so many different <laughs> prospects in the farm system that you never know if he's going to turn into a stud or if he'll kind of just 
spend some years in the minors and then maybe make a few appearances in the majors or whatever. But he's someone that I find very impressive. I think that he's certainly got a shot to to develop into a major league player. He's got really good velocity and I don't know, he's just an exciting pitcher to watch. Really lights out. And the CAA is not a bad baseball yeah. conference. So he wasn't going up against scrubs, kind of against some some solid guys. I think there were actually a couple like top 25 maybe picks from CA players. Yeah, there was George Kirby, the closer from Elon, who also could blast home runs. He went 20th overall. And Greg Jones, the I think he's an outfielder for the UNCW Seahawks. He went 22nd. That's right. So, I mean, yeah, Nick Robertson wasn't pitching to scrubs. He was pitching to top first round draft picks. And he pitched up against them to finish out the season, I, I believe. They lost to UNCW right in the CA tournament, Jamie. You did, yeah. So, yeah, nothing to really to be upset about. I mean, round seven, pick two hundred twenty-one. That is a great spot, and I'm reading the press release now from JMU. He is the highest player drafted since Jake Lowry went one twenty-eighth in the fourth round to the Cleveland Indians in 2011. I've not heard that name since, but I hope we'll be hearing Nick Robertson's name again. Soon, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think Jake's still in some sort of professional baseball. I've seen him a few times pop up on, on Twitter and all that. I don't know if he, in terms of majors and minor stuff, but I know he did some things in that organization. Yeah, he says he's in the Nationals organization right now. So he's done some things. I definitely think there's a chance that, that Nick does some nice things. And like you said, it's impressive to be drafted in that position, which is a good sign for JMU baseball. Um, definitely helps in recruiting when you can point to guys being drafted, you know, in the seventh round of the major league baseball draft. Yeah, and we kind of talked about it in terms of football with how well Jimmy did, how well Ravens been doing, how well Dean Marlowe's doing. Is Jamie the DBU of FCS football? If Nick Robertson goes out and is solid within the system of LA and and has some good showings in the minors, that might bode really well for Kevin Kelly, who's a fantastic pitcher that's so interesting and dynamic. If Robertson goes out and does well maybe maybe that kind of bumps up the uh the intrigue on Kevin Kelly if if Robertson comes out of JMU and and he's a good pitcher in the farm system maybe JMU can develop pitchers well and then that bodes well for Kevin Kelly that's something I'm gonna be really interested to kind of keep an eye on agreed yeah and Kevin might get sort of some late round look in this year's draft but I could see him coming back having another solid summer or whatever he decides to do in terms of, of summer league ball or whatever and then kind of going from there. If he has another good season next year, if he does come back, then I think he'll be impressive there. And he's another guy with a chance to make it to the majors, which is exciting to see a lot of different Jamie players play professionally, even softball with Megan Good getting drafted 10th overall. So, you know, a lot of different Dukes are making it in the professional ranks, which I think is a big deal for the athletic program as a whole. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And I like how in this entire baseball recap, we've talked about the draft because we do not want to touch on the abysmal CAA tournament performance. No, we do not. So I forget how it went. It was like, did they play Elon the first day? I think it was Elon and then like, I think it was Northeastern, not UNCW, but whatever it was, it was rough. It was not exciting. They really struggled. But they are, in my opinion, trending slightly upward under Eikenberry. So I think the future is exciting. See... We, I feel like we say that often, like in terms of men's basketball. You know, they're trending in the right direction. They're a young team with a lot of talent. 
I'm nervous to say that. So I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say next year is a big year for him. It is a big year. I will agree with that. All right. What else we got? Highlights. We could go through some highlights the entire athletic season. The Jamie Sports Blog guys hit on that pretty well in their recent podcast. So go listen to them. Go listen to that. Um, I think most people know the major the major highlights. Five CAA titles across the board. You know, softball did very well. Women's tennis got its first CAA title in program history. Yada, yada, yada. If you have anything else that you're dying to know, DM us. And we'll just go on a long DM conversation. Um, nothing else I'm dying to add about highlights from the entire athletics. I mean, uh, uh, n- no. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the main They're stuff. good. JMU Athletics is good. Yeah. All right, best what else takes. we got? We also oh, best takes. Did I jump the gun? Also shame shameless plug before we go to best takes. We will have some sort of newsletter recapping stuff in the next week or two. So, if you really want more recap stuff, we'll try to take a little <laughs> deeper dive there. All right, best takes. What is your best takes? Because I'm, I'm trying to think of mine, and I, I think I'm patented for my bad takes. Like, I feel like every take I've had <laughs> was so wrong. I feel like I'm sort of the same way. I'm trying to think of a take I had that wasn't bad. Um, that's a good question. I honestly don't have any, any good takes to jump off the board. I will say I did a reasonably good job with a few articles where I predicted records. Oh, yeah, you were on point with the so, record predictions. Those are pretty good. I had like JMU men's basketball's conference record before the conference season started. I got that right. And I was very close on softball, lacrosse, and baseball. So I don't know if those are necessarily takes, but the prediction game was pretty strong. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think my best take would be would I mean it's still it's not even you couldn't even say it's a confirmed one hundred percent best take, but that Ben is the best quarterback on JMU's roster and that he's the future of JMU football. That's a fair take. <laughs> that, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's my best take. Is 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 I a fair it. take? <laughs> <laughs> what about worst takes? Because this is where we sort of excel a little bit more. Yeah, maybe we should rename it to JMU Sports Bad Takes. We should because that's basically all we do. All right, so what I, do we I, have here? We have your men's basketball early predictions. Got to be up there. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's my number one one without a doubt. Just the fact that I had I thought that that roster, a roster, I'm going to go look at their statistics to make this sound like I I really prepared for this segment, like they were actually good. I'm going to skew the numbers. Here. No, I'm just saying this so I can sound like I I knew what I'm like I was prepared no, for okay. this. So I was expecting them to go into the season with a roster made up of Stucky Mosley. Um, a roster of a, another year of Matt Lewis. I didn't think Deshaun Parker would have be a breakout, but, you know, that just added icing to it. Dwight Wilson, you know, I really thought all these guys, Alex Scholes, I mean, I thought they were going to really take <laughs> yeah, off this season. I had really high hope, really high hopes for them. But now they finished the year with um, a 44% field goal percentage. They made just under 25 field goals a game. They shot 36% from three. Um, they shot 72% from the free throw line, which isn't too bad. That's actually better than the opponents. Um, yeah, they just weren't – nothing jumps off, and they finished as one of the worst basketball programs in the country. 
Yeah, they weren't <laughs> they weren't very good. They were definitely not a top team. But I will say there is logic behind your take because the take came when looking at the roster on paper, which is a very exciting roster. Yeah, we say it every year. And I mean, I'm in a, that, I can already tell you what my worst take next year is going to be. I'm going to say the same thing. They're going to win a CAA tournament, and they're going to win an NCAA tournament game. That's my bold prediction for next oh, year's that's basketball. Hot, that's a really hot take. <laughs> that's my bold statement for next year's <laughs> basketball team. Because you know what? It's it's another year with them. So who knows? And and they added so many good recruits. I don't know. I mean, a year of Matt Lewis at the two, Deshaun at the one, Dwight, Darius, I mean, Dwight. God, such a it's such a fun roster. It is really I fun roster. They actually just they actually just added another recruit today, which is very exciting. Um so they added uh, Zion Dobbs. Oh, Williamson? Oh, you said Dobbs. Sorry, my bad. My bad. <laughs> They've added Zion, <laughs> which is – he's a, like, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, like, point guard kind of guy. He can play point and shooting guard, really athletic, can get to the rim. Their recruiting class coming in is insane. And the roster that returns is pretty strong. I think on paper they're going to have the best roster in the conference, so I, I will say that your your take going into next year is not crazy. What was your worst take? I had one early in the year. I think it was even before we had started Jamie Sports News that I just put it somewhere else. And I said that um, I thought Cole Johnson was going to win the starting quarterback job. Oh, you're, so that was a reason. Yeah. I just suck at quarterback. Gonna, yeah, you Connor. Well, because you got burned last time when the incumbent, not the incumbent, when the uh, guy who had been in the system for a year or two. Yeah. You thought Connor Mitch would take over, so of course, yeah. I mean, I understand that. Too. I reversed it. Yeah, I got scared, and I was like, "Transfers can't be starters," even though like <laughs> badly. But anyway, so I was very wrong there. Pretty stupid take by me. I'm trying to think about any other bad ones. I'm sure I did, but that was the one that really stands out. Kind of started the year with a bang. I also, I definitely wrote an article where I said they would go 15 and 0, the football team. Well, I remember some of our really bad takes. It was before the Elon game, and they had just beat down <laughs> Richmond. And we, we, there was all this narrative about, is this the best JMU team we've ever seen? And we really jumped on that band. I remember segments <laughs> of the podcast where we would talk about how this football team, or last season's football team, was the best ever, and how they were going to demolish Elon <laughs> 60 to nothing. I think that might be a collective bad take. That was bad. I do remember during that point, I think I said, <laughs> said something um, along the lines of they won't have a regular season game like within 10 points the rest of the season, and they oh. proceeded to lose, <laughs> what, like twice, and then the Colgate game? They lost so badly that against was, New Hampshire, too. That was really rough. Yes. <laughs> so that was an awful take. That was That was one of the crazier points in the season because everybody felt very confident what Jamie football was doing. And then they end up losing to Elon as nearly 30 point favorites, depending on the betting line. And um, yeah, that was, that was a rough go. It was a weird football season. Like I, I don't, I feel like I'm not the only one that thinks this, like it was such a weird football season, like storylines in terms of the hot start. And then all of a sudden kind of the wheels almost falling off. You mm-hmm. could like the New Hampshire game and then getting snubbed against Colgate, not snubbed, not getting a better seed or what, a top eight placement. I forgot. Yeah, they didn't get the top eight, yeah. So like all of that and then Houston leaving, is he not leaving? 
being weird in his post-practice talks is what's going on with him. God, it was a weird football season. Extremely strange. And then they end up losing to Colgate in a game where the future of JMU football threw five interceptions. Hey, hey, hey. Very hey. suspect. <laughs> but no, I really like Danucci going into this year too. I guess we'll get into that in a minute. But no, I mean, that was just such a roller coaster season for JMU. And it was so surprising after the start because they looked so good. Jimmy Moreland had like a pick six streak. They were running the ball well, throwing the ball well. The starters played like a half and then would come out. And then against Elon, they just didn't have it. And then they did have it at the end, and they probably should have won the game, had a lead, and then a, a costly Dylan Stapleton fumble that was you know, pretty close. Elon's able to get the ball back and drive down and score on James really – stingy defense so it was just a weird season and then obviously like you mentioned Houston ending up taking a different job and Signetti coming in just lots of football storylines for a team that went nine and four here here's a question for you and then after this question I think we can kind of move on and do our football our first football reel like portion for a while since since a long time but question how different is Jamie football's season if Dylan Stapleton doesn't fumble? I think it completely changes. Well, I guess assuming that, you know, they end up icing that game too, and that, or even if the defense had just made a, a play. But I think that if they win that Elon game, I think that changes everything. Just because I feel like the mindset would have changed from, oh my God, we just lost. Like what happened? We were running so well and doing all these things so well to we were able to come back and pull out this gutsy victory against like a top 10 Elon team. And I think the the mindset, the confidence, all of that changes and people become way, way less worried about different things. I think there's a lot, maybe a little bit less heat on Danucci just because he would have led a couple touchdown drives and they end up winning. So I think that that was kind of the turning point where once they lost, it was like, wait a second. Yeah. And then I think the confidence wavered a little bit. And then the the New Hampshire game, I I still don't really understand. But yeah, the New Hampshire that was a weird game. But yeah, I think I yeah I just think the entire and if you win the Elon game, you get a top eight seed. You're you're not right. playing Colgate in the first round. Like everything in that season changes if Dylan Stapleton holds onto that ball. And now segueing into more football talk. What where do you want to start? In our we have kind of three bullet points. Which one do you want to start with? Let's do all right. So our three, just to give a little sneak peek inside the minds for our, <laughs> our viewers here, we've got way too early <laughs> expectations for the West Virginia game. Then we've got looking at JMU's early season rankings because there were a couple preseason polls that came out, and then we have where will they finish at the end of the season. So let's do. Oh, this is tough. Let's do. Do you want to do preseason polls first? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The same thing. Perfect. All right, what do you think? I know Hero Sports had him at one, and then I think Craig Haley with Athlon Sports had him at two. So what I think with that is I think those are totally 100%. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say this to get the clickbait. Not fair. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Click, 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 exactly. click, click. Engagement spikes. But for the reason of I think we're ranked too high. I think it's not fair to other teams. Like – 
yes, this team is returning, what, 21 of 22 starters. But I think a coaching change is so huge that I think they should be still in the top five, don't get me wrong, but I think they should be a three or a four in terms of ranking. I mean, you, this is a team that was not – that didn't look like world beaters at times last year. This is a team that's returning. So, yeah, you assume they get better. But you have a new coach. He has the same system, a similar system, but at the same time, still a new coach, a new coaching staff. You kind of went through a little bit of turmoil in terms of of how the last season ended. I mean, your quarterback threw five interceptions. There's still a question mark next to the quarterback. If you're the number one team in the country in a preseason poll, I think you should have your quarterback like nailed down hard. And Jane, you doesn't. I mean, there's still three people fighting for it. So that's why I think it's not fair. It's not fair to the other teams, other top five teams who maybe should be in that one or two spot and JMU's there. Interesting. I get the logic. I get the logic. I'm okay with JMU at two. Um, I get the the reasoning for putting them at one like Hero did, but I don't don't know. I have a really hard time putting anyone above North Dakota State just because North Dakota State, regardless of who's on the roster or what's going on, they tend to be the best team in the country. And I think JMU coming off a nine and four season, returning everyone with a new coach, there are question marks there, and I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of like, wow, JMU is extremely athletic. JMU has a lot of different skill guys, whatever, whatever. They're going to be great, and I think that they are really good. I think they do have a ton of really good athletes on this team, but I, I probably put North Dakota State at number two, um, even though I think Jamie, Jamie's roster might be a little bit better. Um, or North Dakota State at one, and then I would put JMU at two. So I'd have North Dakota State one, JMU two, just because I can't think of a team that I would put over either of those two in the top two. Like I don't, I don't see a roster or a team that I'm like, wow, I'm really impressed. I do think Eastern Washington will be good. I know there's some UC Davis love. Maine's gotten a lot of love. I think Maine's not as good as people are saying, especially after losing their head coach. I think that's going to be kind of hard. Um, South Dakota State, I feel like it's like a tad bit overrated. Ooh, I don't know. I just can't bold. see. I can't see. I can't see anyone else in here that's exciting. Like, you like, Hero's got Towson at 10. Like, Towson's not – I mean, they might be a top-10 team, but Towson's not a, like – I don't think anyone's going to be scared of playing Towson. I know they've got some good things, but, like, you look at what they did when they played Duquesne in the playoffs and just absolutely sucked in that yeah. game. E- Elon loses Signetti. I mean, there's just so many teams that lost players that hurt. So I think North Dakota State at one for me, and then I put JMU at two. Okay, I can, I can see that. I just, I just feel like they're that you could throw another team at two. I just think it's hard for for me personally to put JMU at that three spot, that that two spot, or that one, just because of just the turnover in terms of coaching staff. I think, I think in terms of college and collegiate athletics, a coaching staff means so much to a team more so than the roster. I mean, you looked at what Withers did, and then what Houston did with the same roster. To me, that's kind of it, – it, it's all banks on the coaching staff. I totally get that. Here's my hot take of the June podcast. I think Signetti is a better coach than Houston. So I think that they'll actually be better off from this. And I do – I love Bob Trott and Donnie Kirkpatrick. I thought they did some really good things. But I don't think Montgomery on the offensive coordinator position will be any worse. And I also think that um, – I forget the name. Was it Heatherman? 
Corey Heaveman, I think the main defensive coordinator is now JMU's defensive coordinator. I'm really excited about what he brings, especially in terms of pass rush and things of that nature. So I actually think that Signetti and company will be an improvement over Houston. And I love Houston. I think Houston's a great coach. I think he's going to do some really good things at ECU. But I think Signetti is an extremely underrated coach nationally. And I think that he is going to make JMU by the end of the season. I think JMU will be the best team in the country. Yeah, what, I, what, what is weird to me about Signetti is his resume of recruiting Russell Wilson, Phillip Rivers, Julio Jones, Dante Hightower, like all of these huge names working with Nick Saban on his staff and then doing all of this at, at NC State and other, other schools. And to me, that this is kind of to go along with, like I agree, he's a great coach. He's, he's been great wherever he goes. He brings success and he turns programs around. So I agree with that. It's just I'm confused because in all of his interviews and and press conferences, he kind of seems like, no offense to him, but a little odd. And I just watch and I'm like, how did you recruit these guys? Like, what do you say in these recruiting sessions that you get these big names? So, But I'm excited to see what he does with the program in four to five years when it's his guys. I'm also excited to see what he does this year because I think he's a very similar coach to Houston. I don't think he's a better coach than Houston, but I think he is a better staff than Houston, mainly because I'm not a Kirkpatrick fan at all. Yeah, no, I, I see that. And uh, I think it, I got, I don't know about his recruiting pitches. I guess you'd have to hear <laughs> it or whatever, but I, I do agree. He's definitely an interesting <laughs> character. But what I will say is that Bill Belichick is the king of odd, and he's also – one of the best coaches to ever live. So I will say that Signetti is going to win quite a few games. I love what he's doing. I think that they're going to be solid. The roster's loaded. I think they're going to run the ball a lot. I think they're going to do a good job with it. And I also think they've got some good skill guys. So I'm pretty excited about watching this team, seeing how it develops. I think it'll be interesting to see too, in terms of like the top 25 polls and stuff like that. For me, it's just really hard to, to tell because like last year going into the season, I thought I had a pretty good handle on how the CAA would kind of play out. And you and were then complete... Maine ends up well, every it. year there's a, a bottom of a, a worst to first team in the CAA. Right. I here's what we should, I'll, I'm going to pull it up and, and I'll kind of throw it together as, as we talk here, as we go into this next subject of, we'll kind of circle back to CAA like standings and, and things like that. But what do you think about this UV? The, Whoa, UVA game. Wrong, wrong. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, I forget, West Virginia game. Do you think JMU has a shot? Yeah, I definitely think it's winnable. I don't know that they will win it. I think there are so many things that are going to play out between now and August 31st that I would like to see before like predicting or anything like that. But I do think that, that JMU's got a loaded roster. I think that the fact that JMU is going to care way more about this game than West Virginia is a positive uh, for the Dukes just because it's the season opener for West Virginia. They've got a new coach. There's, there's different things there. So I do think there's excitement, but it's way different when you're JMU's perspective and you're looking, you know, for a chance to prove yourself against a power five school when West Virginia, the mindset is like, we're playing an FCS team. I know they're, they're a good one, but we need to win this game and like we should win this game. And it, it's probably an easy season opener before I think they play Missouri and NC state in the two weeks after that. So I think you might even be, be a little bit looking ahead if you're West Virginia. So 
I think it's a winnable game for JMU. I think they certainly have the roster. Um, I do think that the quarterback position is still like the one question mark, but you look at the way Danucci played against NC State last year. NC State last year, I think, is a, is a better team than West Virginia will be this year, and I think JMU is, is going to be the equivalent, if not a good bit better this year. So I think it's it's definitely a winnable game, and I think JMU, if it if they weren't asked conservative last year against NC State, they might have been able to win that game. So I think that it's certainly winnable, but they are also going up against a West Virginia team with some reasonably good talent as well. Yeah, I think JMU has a good shot as well at winning that game. Um, I don't think they will. I think kind of the depth and just sheer bigness of West Virginia is what's going to prove to be the difference. I mean, it was kind of the difference in the NC State game. That's the, I think that's the biggest difference with the FCS, FBS games is that just yeah. the sheer amount of scholarships that FBS programs have that they can offer to their kids. And just for every – I mean, West Virginia can do a, almost a complete line change of scholarship players, and JMU's still out there gassed. But with the turnover of West Virginia and everything changing for them, and I just saw that one of their safeties entered the transfer portal – so some big changes for them. JMU does bring in some great skill guys. So if they kind of open up their playbook and maybe have a little bit of fun with it. The thing with this game is, like you were saying, JMU has nothing to lose and West Virginia has everything to lose. So if you're JMU, go out there and just play it. I mean, have Josh Sims throw a, a pass to Ben DiNucci for a first down or, or, or something like that, you know, like have Percy do something right. crazy. Percy Ajay Abuse. Have him do something wild. Like, just have fun with it. And because of that, I think, Jamie, you can kind of – they could surprise West Virginia in that, that opening game. And, and then if, Jamie, you can win that, I think that's a huge tone setter for their season. And all the questions might kind of like get laid to rest early, early on in the season. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think that JMU, at least in my opinion, they're more of the equivalent of like a top half like AAC team. So I think that there's this like FCS mark on them, but I think JMU with the roster they have, the coaching staff they have, they're, they would be a really good group of five FBS team. So I think that, you know, if they do upset West Virginia, I think it'll sort of be considered like this large upset. And it's like, oh, wow, they just beat a power five team, at least from the outside. And I think when you look at what JMU has done, where they've beaten SMU and ECU and then Virginia Tech all since 2010, um, it's, it wouldn't be that surprising to see JMU knock off a team like West Virginia that has um, some coaching turnover. I think they have player turnover. It looks like they've had like, I think, eight guys either transfer or enter the transfer portal since the new coach came on, which I'm sure I don't know that that's necessarily a bad sign for the coach or the players. It might just sort of not be a right fit for those guys. I don't think it's a huge deal either way. But it is something that sort of stands out. It's like they're working in new players they're working in a new system will greer isn't there so i mean they're catching them at a pretty good time jmu is yeah. obviously they have their own coaching concerns or, or coaching questions i guess with signetti coming in i don't know if it's a concern i don't know that west virginia's new coach neil brown is a concern either but both teams have coaching and quarterback questions which makes it so 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 hard to have any idea what's going to happen <laughs> but i do think it'll be a good game yeah Circling back to what you were saying about how you got the CAA completely wrong and how you had it playing out at the end. I did. You had Maine at the bottom, and all of a sudden they're 71, finished the conference. 
I mean, right. every year it seems like a worse team. The year before, all of a sudden, catapults to the top. So I'm going to give you the bottom five teams in the CAA okay. this last season. Are way too early. Who's the surprise of next season? You ready for this? Bring it. Okay, William and Mary, New Hampshire, Villanova, Richmond, and the Great Danes of Albany. Which of those teams will be in the top third of the division next year, the conference? Give me New Hampshire. Give me New Hampshire. I'll take cool. New Hampshire just because I like, I like the program tradition. I like the fact that they are used to making the playoffs. They're pretty well coached. Um, solid team overall. I think that it's, it's reasonably hard to play at New Hampshire. So I'm going to say that they make up for being horrendously disappointing <laughs> last year. I think they were like top five, right? Or top 10 at least. Yeah. Um, and a lot they of were, preseason They were polls. a top team. They were supposed to be. They were dark. I, I'm pretty sure I saw them as some dark horse national champion contenders. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they started the season on like a – I'm pretty sure they started 0-5 and then finished 4-2 and to finish out the season. Or yeah, they were rough to start. They started off abysmal, and then I know they finished kind of on a win streak, but yeah, yeah, they they were solid in the year. So I'll say that that they're the team of those teams. Um, I don't love any of those teams, but if I if I had to pick one, I'd pick New Hampshire. What about you? I can see it. I'm going to go William and Mary just because of their new coach. Yeah, I like that as well. But who knows? No one really knows. And so. Where will JMU finish at the end of next season, CAA-wise and national ranking-wise? What round of the playoffs? I want to know everything you think we will be talking about at this time next year. Okay. So I'm going to say, and I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself, (laughs) but I really like the roster. Like, I can't find a position on the roster that I don't like or that I don't even love. I mean, defensive line, you've got Rondell Carter, John Daka, They've got Mike Green, a lot of really good players. You didn't call out a Batari walk. Come on. He's in there as well. Name's hard to pronounce. We left that, him out. I love <laughs> I love the hard pronunciation. Percy, Adib, all of them. Yeah, I mean, they're they're really good, even, they're, even the players with tough names. So that makes it a struggle for me. But they've also, I mean, you look just going back on defense. Linebacker, they're really good. Landon Word, Dimitri Holloway. They've got Rashad Robinson coming back at corner. Amos at safety. Adam Smith's back there. Then offensive line, everybody comes back. Matt Patrick sort of leading the way. Um, quarterbacks, I don't care if they do. Danucci, Cole Johnson, Gage Maloney, I think they're going to win a lot of games with any of those guys. Running backs, I like what they have. Receivers, um, maybe some questions with Stapleton. I don't know, but I'm not going to speculate there. Even without Stapleton, they've added two talented FBS transfers. They've got Kendall Dean, Josh Sims. I'm obsessed with Ezra Archie. I think he is extremely underrated and a really good receiver for them. Tight end, they're loaded. I mean, like, Nick Carlton is the, probably their, what, number three tight end? That dude, I feel like, could start at tight end for a number of FCS teams. So I'm going to say, I'm going to go a little bit, maybe a little crazy here, but I'm going to say they're going to win the conference. And I, I kind of think they're going to win the national championship. Woo! So I will say that they win it all. I like it. I like it. I... What do you think? Am I too aggressive in your mind? See, I, I kind of run into the same thing. I mean, earlier I was talking about how I think they're kind of preseason ranked too high just because yeah. there's so many question marks in terms of coaching. Right. But at the same time, 
I do think they'll finish the season at the one or two spot in the in the national rankings. And I know that goes that's completely what the preseason rankings are for. So I I kind of I kind of negate myself. But I I want to think this team will be great next year. Cause like you were saying, there's not a position group that's bad. I mean nowhere is bad. Everyone's a returner except for the corner opposite of Rashad. Like Right. Every, and even them, they played considerable amount of snaps last season. You know, like there isn't an inexperienced person on this team. Danucci will be leading them. Um, there's my plug for Danucci. Nice. Uh, yeah, I really don't see a way they don't win at all next year. I think they have one loss, and that's the West Virginia game. And I think they'll meet North Dakota State in the national championship. And I've, that, that's my bold prediction. And that they'll beat them. They'll get their, their their revenge for two seasons ago. I like it. I mean, I just think that they're they're so loaded. And what stands out to me is there's always – and this kind of comes back to, like, the FBS, FBS – F, oh, my God. Blah, 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 FBS, <laughs> FCS. I was just going to say FBS on, like, an endless loop until I died there. Um, FBS, FCS games where people talk about, like, depth and how FCS teams aren't supposed to be deep. But JMU's deep. Yeah. I mean, they've got, like, like every position. I literally – I mean, I think there are three quarterbacks that could all win games. If they're going to have, like, four or five running backs they feel comfortable with. They've got good offensive line depth. The receiver position, when you look at it on the, on the website and you kind of list who they have, it's like an endless loop of studs. It's just so many people. I don't know how they're going to get enough, like, balls to all those different guys just because they have so many – good receivers i mean they're deep at tight end which is just weird like i don't know how a team in the fcs becomes deep at tight end but jmu has defensive lines pretty solid maybe you've got some like potential questions at like corner or linebacker in terms of depth but even then i feel like the positions are still pretty solid and i haven't even mentioned like wayne davis who i love at corner i think he's a really talented yeah. player so i mean i just you got Ratkey at kicker O'Kelly at punter, like the special teams are good. It's just on paper, there really aren't any weaknesses, which makes it hard to pick against them. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. Uh, that's all I can say to that. So I think you heard it here first, people. They're going to win the national championship with Ben DiNucci at quarterback. Yes, Ben DiNucci. Here's another of my bold. I was trying to remember that entire time oh, yeah. you were talking. I was like, I have a really bold prediction, but I completely forgot what it was. Bold prediction, Ben DiNucci finishes next season CAA Player of the Year. I actually love that hot take. and I don't know how hot it is. If he doesn't, here's an interesting question for you. How do you think he's viewed, let's say he throws two interceptions against Colgate and they win like 30 to 24. Yeah. And then they lose to North Dakota State the next week, but he plays fine. Do you think... people are like horribly concerned going into this year do you think there are like all these weird questions no and that's what bothers me i think everyone's calm about it and that's what bothers me so much and people you can attack me on twitter for this take i mean all 20 of our listeners they probably honestly kind of agree with us if they've been listening for 20 for a year of sports (laughs) then they kind of agree with our takes but like that's what bothers me so much about the ben denucci slander and hate i mean there wasn't any of that throughout the regular season 
and there was kind of love for him when he was helping demolish Richmond and he was had a great game against NC State and he helped demolish Towson and and like all of these games where he was great he was third team all CAA like he was not a bad quarterback and there were just times where he looked a little shaky but I don't chalk that up to him I chalk that up to play calling that there were times they just wouldn't air it out and they would just run it and he got visibly like frustrated we got used to Brian Shore who was the perfect quarterback for Mike Houston and was a great quarterback in terms of like close to the vest kept, didn't wear his heart on his shoulder, went out, played the game and came back where Ben DiNucci kind of puts his heart on his shoulder. He plays with emotion. He has fun when he's out there. And if things aren't going his way, he kind of shows it. And so I think his bads were, were kind of intensified and his greats were intensified but if he goes out against Colgate and he throws two interceptions, we win the game, and he throws for three touchdowns, I think he's – no one's questioning him going into this year. And and going to his three interceptions – his five interceptions, excuse me, I think three of them you can chalk up either not his fault or they didn't matter. One was the Hail Mary attempt to end the half, um, and then the guy just went down, so – there's an interception that really didn't matter much. One, right. the wide receiver ran the wrong route, and it was a timing route. So Danucci put it in the time, like the spot it was supposed to be. I think it was Jake Brown may have yeah, ran the wrong right. route, and you saw them communicate that one out. And there's a third pick that I don't. I think it was a tipped pass that you just can't chalk up to Danucci. So I think. If he doesn't throw five picks, we're not questioning him this year, and he's the undisputed starter. Yeah, I think there's a lot of of kind of concerns that come from maybe fans or whatever from the quarterback position is just because the last thing we've seen from Danucci was five interceptions. Yeah. So I think that unless you're counting like the spring game, but I think people are a little concerned just by that. But I kind of agree that, you know, if he had – played just like his average game in that one. I think Jamie wins and I think people are, are less upset maybe with how the season ends. So I think he gets unfairly criticized at times. And again, he's not a perfect quarterback. He's got some flaws and some areas he needs to improve and turnovers are certainly one of them and consistency is another, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's more of a gunslinger type than Shore, and Shore sort of was in his own capacity in terms of like scrambling around and stuff, but he was also a really good, game manager in the sense that he had a really high completion percentage. Yeah. Um, he knew the, knew the offense really well and all that stuff where I think Danucci, sometimes maybe you want to do more design runs or whatever, just to kind of get him into the game and maybe take more deep shots. Cause, cause even Brian Shore, when he was given more deep shots, when they won the national championship, that's kind of when JMU was at its best. And it seemed like they got away from that last season. So I'm interested to see if they, they take more shots down the field with Benucci if he is the guy, and I think he, he will be. I think that's sort of a take I think we agree on. Um, but, no, yeah, I, I think that he's a really good quarterback that is capable of doing a lot of things. And, and like you said, he's not going to be just a game manager, just somebody that does okay. Like, if he plays the way he's capable of playing, like, he's probably one of the CAA's better players. Yeah, and I think also kind of something JMU fans seem to forget in terms of when we talk about some of the best quarterbacks in recent memory, Bad Lee's name always comes up. 
And that threw a lot of turnovers. He threw a lot of interceptions, yeah. and but he won games. So I think if Danucci comes out and still kind of has the turnover problems he had last season, but he wins games, I think Danucci kind of is put up onto he. It, it kind of is a seamless transition from Vad to Brian to Ben. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that if he puts together a good season. I think for him, it's just a matter of like using his playmakers. Yeah, because. Uh, because Vad had some really talented playmakers, but he was also electric in terms yeah. of running and passing and those different things where I think Danucci doesn't need to be and probably isn't that electric. But like you're saying, like he can be very effective just by using the absurd amount of weapons. Like you mentioned Jake Brown. I totally forgot about Jake Brown for a little it's, bit. He's a really good receiver. Yeah. Like he, he's another – Everyone. Another guy. Josh Sims, Jake Brown. Um, I don't know too much about the transfers. Um I know the Penn State transfer was kind of – he kind of didn't, didn't live up to his potential. But I'm going to kind of look at the roster here, and it just seemed like, yeah, with their receivers, they have weapon after weapon after weapon after weapon after weapon. Like, it's not fair. Yeah, they're loaded. And, and I think the – I think Polk, whatever, the Penn State guy, um, at least very fast from what I've seen and kind of an interesting playmaker that could be good and – I've heard good things about Spalding, the West Virginia transfer. So I just think there's a legitimate chance that that JMU's got just a much better offense and maybe a much better defense than like 98% of FCS teams. I just think there's the opportunity for Danucci and company to really light people up just by like putting it in the hands of receivers. He doesn't have to do all that much. He just kind of needs to find a way to get him the ball and, that's in addition to a running game that I think might be one of the better ones in the country. Yeah, looking at who who do they have at wide receiver? Oh, I forget. I forgot about Riley too. Yeah. Jeez, yeah, Kendall Riley. Dean. Oh my gosh, yep. this is a stacked team. Yeah, I mean, people are talking about like receiver, and there's just so much. You got like Riley, Kendall Dean, Ezra Archie, Jake Brown, Polk, and Spalding. The transfers. There are a few other guys, too, that I'm, I'm probably missing. But, I mean, they're just loaded at the wide receiver position with a ton of different athletes. And, and then you add in pass-catching weapons at tight end and, and Cheatham and Dylan Stapleton, and it's just an unbelievable offense in terms of weapons and depth. Huh. There's a new quarterback on the roster, too. Interesting. A transfer from Alderson Broadus. Started three games at quarterback. Sorry, I just that that was interesting to me. Interesting, but yeah, gotta add, gotta add those those fifth string guys. Oh yeah, they gotta replace. Uh, oh, what was it? Etheridge? Yes, gotta yes, get a new clipboard, Jesus. <laughs> Very true, <laughs> and um, so that wraps it up for football we kind of gave you guys the outline earlier on of what we're doing for summer content bennett told you to go to www.jmusportsnews.com and to follow us at jmu sports news on twitter and i think those are the two best ways you can kind of keep up to keep it edible cannot talk to keep up to date with what we're going to be doing over the summer Yes. Anything else to add? I think that's that's mostly it. We will have maybe in like 
July, we're going to try to do something cool, narrowing down like the best athletes in January. Oh, yes. Thank you for remembering. That's going to be dope. Yes. So please, if you're a graduate from the 90s, if you're a graduate from the 80s listening to this or even before that, if you're a graduate from 1908, the inaugural class, and you happen (laughs) to be listening to this, um, please tweet us at JMU Sports News, some of your favorite athletes that you saw play during your time here. Because are you still laughing at the inaugural season? Yeah, if you're like 142 and you're listening to this, you might want um, to make some better use of your last days. But if, if you are doing it, definitely something sweet. Yeah, so we don't have such a um, new athlete list. Is is that how you not new? Yeah. I mean, young. Um, I don't know how to word that, but yeah, yeah. We're trying to get some some athletes that aren't, I guess you know, haven't come in such recent years. Um, so that's sort of the goal. We have done some research, so we'll get some stuff there. But it's also hard for us to really know, you know, the greatness of some of these athletes, having never seen them play or or even really having read about them much. So any any suggestions are certainly welcome and i'm sure we'll do more on twitter as that gets closer to to get some some input from our you know 173 year old followers and all those all those good things (laughs) well (laughs) um i hope you 173 year old listener really enjoyed this episode our last episode i guess you could call this season one our last episode of season one um, we'll look forward to talking to you guys before the West Virginia game next uh, to start the JMU Sports um, year next year in just a few months. Um, from now and then, you may see an occasional pop-up podcast of possible interviews we did, of, of fun things that happen. Or if JMU somehow makes June or July news, we might do a quick pop-up podcast. So keep your eyes peeled to that. You'll find that on Twitter at JMU Sports News. Um, So, yeah, for Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You all have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. See ya.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.